Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So we've been talking about uh, our beliefs as a church. We have a series we're doing called Foundation. So if you're a guest here, you're new here, we've been talking about those foundational beliefs that all Christians have, but the beliefs that we have in particular as a church. And uh, this week, we're talking about the fact that Jesus gave us power gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, to reach people, to reach our world, and to build the church up. That Jesus Christ has given every person in this room spiritual gifts. That you've been endowed by your Creator with gifts that are for the benefit of others. You've been given certain talents, abilities, but also supernatural endowments that come to you once you believe in Jesus Christ and you trust him as Savior and Lord, and he pours his Holy Spirit into you, he gives you, he <laughs> ladens you, he, he, he pours out on you, he lavishes upon you his grace, his kindness and his goodness, and he pours it in you and he empowers you so that you might benefit other people. Firstly, that the world around you might know that Jesus is real. Secondly, that the people that you walk alongside of in the family of God in the church can be built up, stirred up, cheered up. That you'll help people to become what God created them to become. And every one of us have that calling in our life. I mean, you may not realize it, but all of you in this room are incredibly gifted. And what you have is what we need. You have abilities, divine enablements from God that help all of us to grow. And without you sharing what you have, every one of us in this room to some degree are, are going to be less than we could be. You make us more, you make us stronger, you help us become the church that God's called us to be. Pastor Kirby John Caldwell said this, and I think it's a profound statement, there are two great moments in a person's life I think I have this quote here coming. Here we go. There are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. Amen? When you realize, first of all, that it's a gift that you're here and that every breath that you draw and every heartbeat you have and every step you take and every person you come across, all of that is a gift. And then secondly, when you begin to understand you were created for something. You were made for something. And so what I want to do is I want to open with kind of my opening idea today, and then I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to veer to a, a different direction. But the first thing I want to start with today and my, kind of my big idea is that God gives us power gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit to reveal the risen Jesus. Amen? So I want you to see this text of Scripture because it's really, really profound. And, and um, I've told you this before, but... There are two ways, when we, when we approach Scripture, there's two ways that we approach. The first is known as exegesis. In exegesis, we go into the text of Scripture and we draw out its original intention. We don't put our own life into it, that's eisegesis. But we draw out of the Scripture what its original intent was. So we talk about who it was written to, the cultural background, we look at what was happening at the moment, and we, we try to understand the scripture as the writer meant it to be understood. And that's really important because some of us get into the private interpretation of scripture. We approach scripture, you know, um, almost like Russian roulette, right? We'll kind of be like, you know, God, speak to me. 
Judas went and hung himself. Oh, that's a bad one. Go and do likewise. Ah! Right? That's the way we approach Scripture. That's eisegesis, and that's not healthy. You start with exegesis. You draw out its original intention. But then all of us are called to put ourselves in the story. That's application. That's eisegesis. That's when we, we say, okay, that's great for them then. Now, what does it mean for me? How do I take what I've heard and what I've learned and put my own life into it? How do I insert myself into the story? How do I make it personal? And that's what I, I want to do with this text. So this is what I want you to do. We are going to go, we're going to jump into a, a time travel vessel, and we're going to go back in time about 2,000 years ago, and we're going to imagine for a few minutes that we're these people with Jesus at this moment. So before I read the text, let me tell you what's happened. Jesus has finished his earthly mission. He's, li- he's been here on the earth around 33 to 35 years, and scholars have different views on that, but he's been on the earth around that long. He's done a public ministry for about three and a half years. During that public ministry, he's preached good news to the poor and to people everywhere. He's healed sick people. He's actually raised people that were dead from death. He's cast demons out and liberated people that were under the power of darkness. He's spoken the most profound truths in human history. He's done things like walk on water. Think about it. And take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and multiply them to feed 5,000 one time and 4,000 another time. He's done all these incredible things, but he, to, to kind of... To put the cherry on the top, well, the greatest thing ever in history is he was crucified on our behalf. And he took upon his own body, Peter calls it in the tree, on the tree, the cross. He took in his own body our sin, our death, our judgment, our damnation, what we deserved. He bore it all, even our wounds upon his back, our stripes upon his back that we might be healed, spirit, soul, and body. And after bearing and absorbing all of human sin from Adam to Z, from A to Z, of every human that will ever be, he absorbed all of that into himself, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and three days later he rose again from the dead bodily. That's what Christians call the basic gospel, the good news. He rose from the dead bodily. And I don't have time to get into it, but that's really important. That's the most important part of the story because if he doesn't rise from the dead bodily, all of his death on the cross is meaningless. It doesn't pay for our sin. It doesn't make things right with God. But he rises from the dead bodily. And then what happens is over the next 40 days, he appears on the earth over and over again to his followers. At one time, he appears to up to 500 people. And as he appears to them, he preaches and he teaches and he gets them ready because, see, what he wants them to do is he wants them to carry on his mission. He wants them to do what he's been doing. So he gets them ready, he teaches them, he prepares them, and and then he gives them what's known as the Great Commission. And a commission is to be sent with authority to do what I've done. So he, he commissions them and, and then the scripture says he does something really crazy. He ascends. 
And the ascension is actually a really important, important part of the story because the ascension was the thing that showed he was the king overall, that he had authority over all of creation, that the nations belonged to him, the planet belongs to him, every kindred, tribe, tongue, every kind of people group, every ethnicity, all of them belonged to him. He paid for all people with his blood. So to show that, he ascends into heaven right in front of them. I mean, you know, beam me up, Scotty. I'm talking this is some trippy stuff. And it says he disappeared in the clouds, and, and the scripture says he went into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, which right hand in the Bible is always representative of the authority and the power of God. So he sat at the Father's right hand, and he did what theologians call, he, he took his session. He went into session. And his session is his rulership as king. So he sat on the throne and he put his feet up. And he's making all of his enemies his footstool, the scripture says. And when he's made all of his enemies his footstool, including death, when he's finished all of that, he'll return a second time. Okay, so that's the backstory. That's the context. That's the exegesis. Now as we read the text, we understand ourselves in the story. So put yourself in the story because this isn't just for them who lived at that time. This is for us as well. So Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. Are we there? Acts 16, 14. Sorry, give us just a minute. Well, if you have a Bible, look on in there and or just listen carefully. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now listen to this next part. This is really important. And these signs, say signs, these signs will follow or accompany those who believe. Any believers in this room? Okay, so this is really important. I'm setting you up. I'm about to spring the trap. You're about to take the hook because you're all, yeah. Okay, so you're believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, these things will follow or accompany your life. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, and that doesn't just mean we use the name of Jesus like a rabbit's foot. The name of Jesus represents all he is, his character, it's his backing, it's his authority, his power. So it's saying in his stead, in his place, carrying his authority, carrying his name, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. That's kind of a weird one, isn't it? It's not encouraging us to be snake handling churches. I just want to say that. We see that fulfilled in the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, in the 28th chapter of Acts, where Paul was on a missionary journey and he reached into a, you know, he reached to grab some wood for a fire. And when he reached in, a viper bit him, a poisonous viper. And all the people were waiting for him to die. And he didn't die. He shook off the viper into the fire and he went on preaching. And then they were like, whoa, this guy's a god. And he said, no, no, no. And then he prayed for the sick and they were all healed. Anyway, that's a different story. They will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out, notice this last part, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Now here's our belief. This is Grace Harvest Church belief number 11, and this is what my message is about today, but again, I'm going to veer here in just a second, but Grace Harvest Church belief number 11 says this, Jesus gave his church power gifts to build us up. We believe the Holy Spirit has bestowed gifts on the church and that these gifts are to function until the return of Christ and will be manifest in the church, and this is where I turn my message. Okay, now I want you to look with me because this is go, goes right along with it. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2. It's going to be up on the screen, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 16. And I'm going to, again, give a little bit of background. I'm limited on time here, so I'm going to give a little bit of background. I hope you like, do you guys like the background stuff? Is that okay? I just want you to understand the text in the, I mean, the, yeah, the text within the context, okay? So, Acts chapter 2. And I'm there, and let me give you a little bit of background. Now, Jesus has ascended. He told his people, go to Jerusalem and wait. I have a promise for you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to clothe you with power. And that power is going to give you what you need so you can go out and do what I did. Okay, so then what happened was they gathered and they were waiting. And on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, one of the, one of the feasts, that the Jews celebrated, which was the, the word Pentecost, Pente means 50. It was 50 days after. So for 40 days he taught, and then he ascended into heaven, and they waited for 10 days, and they fasted and prayed. And on the 50th day, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were all gathered together in a room called the upper room, and they were praying, and they were fasting, and the Spirit was poured out. And, and the, the, the Spirit came upon them in power, and there were signs like like flames above their head and they were empowered and they spilled out into the streets and as they spilled out into the streets around them a crowd gathered and the crowd was like what is going on are they drunk it's too early in the day it's only nine o'clock in the morning these guys start early is somebody in their group like it's five o'clock somewhere I mean what is going on but no they gathered together and the, this crowd gathered and Peter got up and Peter began to preach and this is what he said was happening. He interpreted the moment from the Bible. So he took an Old Testament scripture from a prophet named Joel, or as some people will say Joel, he took an Old Testament scripture from Joel, and he brought that Old Testament scripture into the present, and he interpreted it for the moment, and he explained what was happening to them so that they might understand. So he says in Acts chapter 2, Verse 17, this is Peter, he's standing up, he's preaching, and he says, this is what Joel said in, in, in 16 and 17. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it will be in the last days, and if it was the last days then, what do you think 2,000 years later is? I call this the laster days, right? So we are also in the last days, okay? So, so I want you to notice, I want you to put yourself in the story and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your young men, excuse me, <laughs> I missed a very important spot. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So I want you to notice that when the spirit is poured out, there's a corresponding thing that happens. And that is that 
sons and daughters prophesy. The word prophesy means to speak the voice or the mind, the will of God, to speak on behalf of God, right? Prophesy is not just to talk about the future, to foretell the future. The word prophecy has two meanings to it. It means both to foretell the future and to foretell, that is to speak forth the current mind and heart of God for the moment. Okay, so in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Amen? Amen, Samuel? Your young men will see visions. Now, I love how the Bible doesn't leave us old folks out here. And it says, and your old men will dream dreams. And that totally makes sense because old guys are usually laying around napping. So that's how the Lord will meet you in your nap. Okay. Your old men will dream dreams. Okay, you ready? I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. So I want you to notice he's touching every class of society. He says all people, and then he breaks it down. He says your sons and your daughters, male, female, young, your young men, visions, old men, dreams, and then I'll pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. So women too will be recipients of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen, ladies? Come on, help me out here. I'm preaching good. Now you got to help me out. All right. All right. What? Oh, okay, okay. And, and then look what it says, and they will prophesy, okay? So on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. Again, they're going to speak for the Lord. And look what it says, and I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke, and there's a lot here to be interpreted, and I don't have time to get into it. The sun will be turned into to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's the beauty. The prophetic fulfillment ends with salvation of people. It starts with, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And then in verse 21, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the beautiful thing. In the last days, God promised us something. And this is super important because I don't know about you, and I'm not, I want you to all know, you Gen Zs, you Gen Zs, and nobody's talking, nobody's talking trash about you here, okay? And I want you to know that I'm, I'm one of your greatest supporters, and I'm super excited about what the Lord's doing in your life. But a lot of the older generation, they look around at the young generation, and by the way, it happened when you were young too. So before you get too critical about the young generation, just remember what your parents were saying about you. How many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Isn't it an awesome movie? Okay, all those hippies now have gray heads in here, and some of them are moving around like cracking and stuff. Okay, all those hippies that got saved and the generation before them were making fun of them and saying that they had no, they had no incentive and they don't work hard. And rah, 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 and you know, that's, that's how you know you're getting old. Is when you're like, the young generation, they're just always... Rah, rah. Okay, so why don't we stop that? Right? And why don't we begin to look at them through the eyes of God? But here's the beauty. Amen. When we see darkness in a time that we live, on our nation, we see the challenges that we're facing in the time that we live, and we look around our world, and I mean, it looks like, you know, a powder keg out there. It looks like somebody could drop a match and the whole thing would go up. 
and we begin to get discouraged and you spend all your time watching the news and reading online and your brain starts to get distorted and you start to get afraid and you start to feel like the only thing you can do is draw back and develop security and protect your own. You begin to look at the world that way. You're missing the heart of God because these are the times in history when God's people are always at their best. And here's the beauty. Every time it looks so dark, the Lord arises on the scene. He pours His Spirit out on a new generation and they begin to speak the heart of God to that time. And God shows wonders and signs. And He begins to move across the generations. And that's what we believe. And so, you know, as we kind of wrap things up here today, I want to tell you, God is pouring His Spirit. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. I talked about old and young. You know what the heart of God is? God doesn't have favoritism for generations. God doesn't think the young generation's more worthy or better than the older generation. And whether you're an Xer or a boomer, right? Whether you're a millennial or a Gen Z, whatever your generational area is, that's not the way God looks at the generations. He sees them like links joined together. Right? Like, like, I just want to say something to this young generation. Y'all can't do what you need to do without us. Right? You just can't. And we can't do what we need to do without you. And the way it works in the church is it's not only multi-ethnic, right, and multicultural, but it's multi-generational. And that's the beauty of the church that separates it from any other institution. We're people that need each other from every generation across all the spectrums. And we can't become who God's called us to become. And you have gifts. We desperately need them. We need your gifts. And we want to make room for them. Amen? And, you, and, and we have gifts for you as well. You know, what would be a beautiful thing? Sit down sometime. Here, I, I have a dare for you. Sit down with your parents or your grandparents and ask them to tell you the story of God in their lives. Ask them to share their testimony with you and talk about the highlights of how God touched their life and spoke to them, provided one time when you were a baby and you had no idea that your parents couldn't even make ends meet and they prayed and they sought God and somebody sent someone to the door with groceries. I dare you to go and sit down and say, tell us about what God did in the previous generations. We want to know how God worked in your life. You see... We live in a time when our media wants to pit the generations against each other. You watch TV commercials, you watch television shows, and the older generation are mocked continually by the younger generation, made fun of, right? And then the older generation looks down on the younger generation, you know, when I was your age, I mean, it gets bad both ways. But here's the reality. When we begin to recognize that we can't make it without each other, and we need what each generation has. And we lean into that and we pray into that. And we, we and us in the older generation, we sit down with these young people and we say, tell us what God did in your life this weekend. Tell me your story. Tell me your, your dreams. Tell me what's important to you. 
right? What if we just all kind of mentored somebody in the younger generation and said, how can I come alongside you and help you get to where you need to go? How can I make you succeed in becoming the man or the woman that you're created to be? See, when we start to lean into that and see that, then God sees something beautiful that he can smile upon, right? We, we posture ourselves for an outpouring of his spirit. So we want what you got. 